Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 141. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we have Kevin Rakestraw. How you doing, Kevin? Doing pretty good. Happy birthday. Thank you. We're recording this on Monday. Today is Kevin's birthday. Correct. So, follow him on Twitter, at FilmPulseKevin. Wish him a happy birthday. Don't do that. <laughs> well, this will, this will be coming out later anyway. This will probably be coming out tomorrow, so it won't even be your birthday anymore. So don't wish Kevin happy birthday. <laughs> so so this week on the show, we'll be doing three fantastic reviews. We have Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. We have Birdman. And we have Why Don't You Play in Hell. That's on demand right now, so you can check that out. The other two are playing in theaters. We'll also be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Instead of doing what we've been watching since we have three movies this week, I figured we could start off by going over a couple news bits, because uh, there's some some big news that came out within the last week. Uh, most notably, the title for the next Star Wars film, <laughs> The Force Awakens. So, the official title is Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Did uh, Did fans like that? I'm not really sure, honestly. Like, it's funny. The The thing that I've seen the most on Twitter is not people saying, oh, that's a bad title or whatever, but people criticizing people that criticize the title. <laughs> and yet, I haven't seen anybody actually criticizing the title, so I'm not... <laughs> I'm not really sure what's going on there. You know, Personally, you know I think the title's fine. I, I I could care less about a subtitle. You know what I mean? Like, it would, does it really affect the movie that much? Well, no, I don't. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I just I don't, I don't, I don't underst- think it affects the title. I don't understand why people get so up in arms about it. Like, I don't what's know. If it, people what's are it, though? What's That's the, the matter with the subtitle? Is the only thing that matters is if films any good i agree gives a shit of what they call it they could just call it wars of stars 17 who gives a shit but it's interesting that that's what a lot of people are saying on twitter but what i'm wondering is are people actually analyzing this title and and the only thing freaking out about it i don't even i don't know that people are the only thing that i saw when it first broke is i don't know who said it but someone was like a better title would have been literally anything else. And then people just went haywire with like coming up with names for it, which seems like that's, that's really what they wanted to do. Just to show showcase how witty they can be with their subtitles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything's an opportunity now. Let, yeah. Let me sh- to, to come up with the, the most snarky comments <laughs> yeah. regarding it. Exactly. I think the force awakens is fine. I mean, it, it, I don't think it gives away anything with the movie, but maybe when we actually see the movie, it'll make more sense. And it's certainly better than Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. <laughs> well, I mean, like what the originals, what were the originals called? Wasn't one like A New Hope? A New Hope, that... Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. 
Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and it was the Revenge of the Sith or something. Yeah. Episode three. A new. I mean, a, so, I mean, a new hope. It's kind of stupid. I mean, they all. I mean, I think it fits in with the other ones. Phantom Menace. Come on. I think it's better than that. What so at any rate, there we go. We have a new title, an official title. Interestingly, they dropped the episode seven out of it, so it's not called Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. It's you know they dropped that, so I don't know if that's trying to keep in with this new grand scheme that they have for it, because I think that they're trying to make it so that it's more like the Marvel movies, where there's the actual specific episodes and then there's these side movies that they're going to be coming out with yeah but either way i mean i'm i'm still pretty excited for it just based on the fact that the cast is good they're using a lot of practical effects it's shot on film i think jj abrams is more than competent to handle the series so I, i think it's going to be a winner the only thing i'm worried about is the lens flare Let's just let's cool it on the lens flare. Just, we'll see. I, I we'll mean, see he doesn't—he doesn't even have to get rid of it. I'm just saying, dial it back by like fifty percent, please. That's it. That's all I'm asking. What was uh? I, I guess Star Trek Two was the last. Was that the last one he did? And and I feel like he dialed it back a little bit on that one. No, there was a good bit. Oh no, there was a good bit. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like maybe he dialed it back a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> he, he might be a little bit more restrained because it's Star Wars. And even though Star Trek is a popular franchise, I think Star Wars is still still beats it out Ooh, as far as you, popularity. You just started a fight. Oh, whatever. Oh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Uh, also, another big story. Toy, Toy Story 2. Or, yeah, Toy Story 2. <laughs> I was looking at a picture. They're finally making a sequel to Toy Story. They're finally making the sequel to Toy Story. No. Toy Story 4 has been announced. What's the subtitle for that one? Is there a subtitle for that one? I think it's called like... uh, I don't know. I was trying to come up with a clever Disney Toy Story tie-in subtitle, but can't can't come up with one. Woody's Revenge. (laughs) There, there we go. Toy Story Four: Woody's Revenge has been announced. Uh, not too. A lot of people not excited about this one. I, a lot of there have been a lot of comments on this. I'm I'm not. I thought the just the third one ended so perfectly. Well, yeah, and that's what everybody's saying. I mean, the the third one wrapped everything up so nicely. You know, the first one it was his toys uh what's it what's the kid's name andy yeah andy's toys and then in the second one it was i think the sister was involved in that one and then the third one he was going off to college and growing out of the toys and all that and it just felt like such a great conclusion to everything exactly and i just i'm sure that it's going to be good i'm sure that they're going to go into a really cool direction with it but at the same time i just can't i'm not on board with it I just I want more original things. I love I love Pixar and I want them to come out with more original IPs, you know? Yeah. That's what I mean. This uh what's what's the new one? I can't remember the new one. Inside Out? Is that the name of it? Um I think so. Yeah. You know, that's an original IP and it looks fine. I'm not terribly excited 
for it based on the premise, but I'm sure it'll be good. But I remember there was a time, back before Disney owned Pixar, they said flat out, we will never do a sequel. I don't know if you remember that. They, they said, we will never do a sequel. <laughs> and now... John, and now we have we have Finding Nemo 2 coming out. Well, it's funny. Incredibles 2. John Lasseter is making... He's made Toy Story 2, Cars 2. He's making Cars 3. He's making Toy Story 4. I mean, my goodness. Let's cool it. I mean, maybe they're just running out of ideas. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Tarantino added... Channing Tatum and Damian Bashir to the Hateful Eight. What do you think about that? Sure. I think <laughs> it would be interesting. I, mean, just, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to like comment on these things because in all honesty, I don't care. I don't, don't, I, care? I don't fucking care. I just want to see... care the, about movie news? I just want to see the movie. That's all I care about is the end product. I want to watch the movie... But I think you That's, could at least comment on no, I mean like casting news, right? No, they're like Channing Tatum in a Tarantino movie. What do you think about that? Cool, cool idea. Sure, not cool. Are you I, excited for it? No, indifferent until I see it. Until I actually see what Channing Tatum is doing, then I will comment. You know what I mean? Okay. It's just there's not. I don't understand how like people have long drawn out discussions about this stuff because it ultimately all it comes down to is just a bunch of bullshit speculation. Of, oh, what, what's he going to play? Is it going to be a comedic role? Is he going to be a badass? Is he going to be a villain? Who knows? You don't know until the movie comes out. Normally when I post these news items on the site, I don't do too much of that and in my news posts. And then a lot of other sites do, and they kind of really get into the analysis of it. But usually I pretty, pretty much just post things very matter-of-factly. And I mean, if, you know, for you and maybe other people that like to hear casting news and stuff like that there's nothing wrong with it it's just for me i don't really have that much to say i'm just being honest i don't really have anything to add to it well let me, let me just clarify by saying i i'm not somebody who hangs over every kind of casting news announcement the only time i ever post stuff on the site that's regarding casting is a when it's been confirmed none of this Oh, he they're they're circling blah 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 to be in blah blah blah. Never in that never interests me. I'm I'm only even mildly interested when somebody actually signs on <laughs> for a role. And second, it, it, normally I only post things uh, regarding movies that I'm actually looking forward to. So if there have been two casting announcements for the Hateful Eight, yes, I will. I'm interested in that. I would like to do more just completely made up casting. Like just take it. The whole, to a, like another level and just start saying you know such and such is this close to being well you know the, the funny thing is that we might as well because <laughs> it seems like it seems like there's so many of these other sites that just they just do whatever they they heard it from somebody who So-and-so. is friends with so-and-so's agent or whatever so-and-so's in talks to play the next whatever superhero movies coming out yeah I mean Look at the the Doctor Strange casting. There, I guarantee I've read like fifteen, twenty articles that said, "Oh, so and so is in talks to play Doctor Strange." And see that to me, that's part of it. Like I don't, I just I don't care until I actually see him in that movie on the screen. Then I can be like, "Oh yeah, Channing Tatum," because I mean Tatum still might back out. Who knows? Yeah. Well, it just happened recently. Christian Bale was going to be. 
Steve Jobs in the Aaron Sorkin biopic. Yeah. And he backed out last minute. So now they're back to square one on that one. So yeah, I mean, that, that stuff can change. I mean, until it's actually shooting, stuff can change. And I mean, there have been almost every Tarantino movie that's come out. There have been last oh, yeah. minute changes. That's why I'm just going to start saying that I'm attached to all these films as well. <laughs> I'm actually in talks need to, to be in the hateful eight. You need to start publishing <laughs> articles on the site by Kevin Rakestraw that says Kevin Rakestraw in talks. <laughs> It's written just, by you. I'm just going to start picking <laughs> random people off of Twitter and attaching them to films. <laughs> but you don't even know their name. You just write at whatever. <laughs> that way when they check, they're like, holy shit, I might be in that movie. And they get all excited, but it doesn't work out. The only other thing I wanted to talk about, and I know you probably will have an opinion about this, Uh-oh. is too many cooks. <laughs> too many cooks. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. So, boy, this was a little, just a little kind of a throwaway thing that Adult Swim aired this last week at 4 a.m. It was supposed to be during an infomercial block, and they just put it out there. And I'm sure that most of you listening have seen this by now because it kind of blew up the day after. It took over the world. The day after it aired, this thing just went viral like crazy. And I got to say, first of all, I'm surprised because this isn't the type of thing that normally does go viral just because it's so weird and out there. Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad it did because when I first saw this, I was like, this is brilliant. This, I love it. I love everything about this. It's a... Essentially, if you're not familiar, it's just an 11 minute long (laughs) short, I guess, where where it's kind of making fun of intros of 80s TV shows. And 90s. Don't forget the 90s. And 90s. I mean, it it kind of parodies Roseanne and Family Matters and all of those G.I. Joes in there, too. There's an animated sequence. Uh, But it, it gets so nightmarish and dark by the end (laughs) that you're just like what and i love it because it's so layered and it's the type of video that you watch over and over again and i think maybe that's why it went viral because so so many people were re-watching it to find all the little hidden Mm -hmm. easter eggs throughout i think that's the majority of it because i've i watched it three times just to go just to see if I could spot anything new. And <laughs> it's just amazing. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. And it's fantastic. Yeah. My favorite was Smarf. Smarf? I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of Smarf. <laughs> I'm really happy. And Smarf popped up. And then it takes a really dark turn. Yeah, shit gets, it gets, shit gets, it gets very dark. It gets insane and disgusting. And then it just gets completely rebooted. And it turns into like a sci-fi TV show. It's so disjointed and and random. I just... It was ridiculous. (laughs) It all comes back together again. Yep. Oh, man. It's great. Check it out if you haven't. And I I don't know the backstory behind this, really. I know it was created by the guys that did Squidbillies, I think. (laughs) But there's not too much else I know about it. The only thing that you have to know is that it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing that really matters. Yep. 
And I just, I, I want to see more of that. Yeah, I know. I, I was thinking about that too. I, I don't know what they would, what else they would do, but I want more of it. <laughs> I do like how they actually start the show, Too Many Cooks, at the very end and then play, <laughs> for like a split second and then play the credits. I uh, love that. Uh, too Many Cooks. Yep. All right, you ready to get into some reviews? Oh, yeah. Just imagine the number of people that had that song stuck in their head this weekend. Uh, I know I had it stuck in my head all weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had it. There was a very, very interesting discussion that was born out of watching because I, I made my wife watch it, and she just she was confused beyond belief. So it turned into this whole conversation of me trying to explain too many cooks. <laughs> it was it was something else it was fun yeah uh my girlfriend also didn't really grasp it she just she was just like i don't get it and i was like this is an internet sensation everybody's watching this like everybody's talking about this and she's like i don't why <laughs> why and i was like because it's amazing and she's like i don't get it why uh all right, let's go ahead and get into our first review. Now, I will I will also say there's another song that got stuck in my head, and we'll get to that <laughs> later when we talk about Why Don't You Play in Hell. Because uh, it was too many cooks, and then after after I saw Why Don't You Play in Hell, that song was stuck in my head. Uh, so let's, let's start with Birdman, then we'll do Why Don't You Play in Hell, and then we'll end it with Interstellar, because I want to do a spoiler section for interstellar okay so we'll we'll do that i don't i don't think we need to do spoiler sections for the other two but we'll we'll see how it plays out so birdman got a wider release this week it's been out for a couple weeks now but we just had the opportunity to see it uh it is directed by alejandro gonzalez inurito probably correct no i think you're actually right okay feels Uh, feels says yeah it's it's the guy that did amores peros and babel and 21 grams uh none none of which i'm a huge fan of i, I remember liking amores paris a whole lot back when that came out uh, yeah i haven't seen that in ages though yeah i, same I liked 21 grams i liked, I liked beautiful the other one oh yeah so he did be, yeah he did beautiful too the other one like babble oh boy i wasn't yeah wasn't a fan of that one i just i just got kind of tired of the multiple storylines yes exactly concept uh, and which this one and birdman kind of has multiple storylines in a way but they're not he sh- does it in a in a very yeah they're more they're not structured they're all, the same as those yeah movies. Right, right right so the synopsis for this says a washed up actor who once played an iconic superhero must overcome his ego and family trouble as he mounts a broadway play in a bid to reclaim his past glory now, I will say, I'll, I'll start it off and say that I loved Birdman. Oh, you I had a feeling I was going to like it. Uh, I didn't know the, the, the whole uh, no cuts thing, the, the extremely long takes. Didn't know about that uh, until well after I was already excited for it. Yeah. Uh, but I did go into it knowing that it was shot that way. And um, I thought it was fantastic. The performances were outstanding. Michael Keaton, I thought, was great in this. 
I mean, to me, it's like this, this, I hope that this is a return for him. I want to see him. I always liked him. And I, I hope that this means that he'll be in a lot more stuff because I think he was great. Uh, it's a very, it's a very odd movie. I mean, it's, it all takes place mostly in this theater on Broadway where he's mount, trying to mount his comeback by doing this play. And everything happens. It's a very frantic and frenetic movie. There's a lot going on all the time. I mean, you're going down these hallways and there's all these separate plot lines with the other actors and um, Zach Galifianakis, who plays the producer slash lawyer. And we also have Naomi Watts, Emma Stone, uh, <laughs> uh, Edward Norton, who's great in it as well. And just as a starting off point, I will say that I thought it was fantastic. So, Kevin, let's start it off. What'd you think? I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I actually found the, the single take uh, cinematography from Lubeski to be a bit unnecessary. I just I don't oh, I, I don't think it that. added anything to the movie. I didn't. I think it. I think that it added to the chaotic nature of the behind the scenes stuff. It made everything feel more stressful to me. I could see that. I could see that. It still bothers me with his blended one takes well i mean that's just how you had to do it i know it still bothers me because especially with how they showed the passage of time in this too because i was actually thinking that this all took place in real time but it doesn't No. so he so there had to be some trickery there i know which is my problem with lubeski doing single takes is he never does single takes he always blends them which to me I just wonder why why do you keep trying to do it then? If you can't well, do it, they, stop blending it. They were still very long though. No, yeah, I mean, they still were. And I did enjoy that there were there were probably like a handful of instances where you could tell the actors kinda tripped over their lines a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. They kept they kept the flubs in there. Which I like. And and I wish more yeah. movies would do that. I do too because it it makes everything feel more natural. Exactly, and we did There's, you know these movies, and which is kind of interesting because this movie's sort of discussing that whole concept when it comes to art, like authenticity and realism and everything. And it's kind of surprising that more films don't do that because it does add another layer of realism to it that they're yeah. flubbing lines. I think that they should do do that. We've talked about this before. I think any time in movies where they have actors talking over one another or flubbing lines or saying um or uh or just doing anything like that feels more natural, more real. I mean, how how many movies have you ever seen? And this, this doesn't do it, but I'm just saying, how many movies have you ever seen where somebody's having a conversation and they just sneeze or cough, you know, and then continue talking? You, you never see that kind of stuff. And I think that if more movies added little things like that, It'd make everything feel more real. I would like to see actors fake sneeze. I think that's a whole nother that's a whole nother dimension right there. I want to see who would, what type of actors can like sell a sneeze. I'll tell you. I'll tell you who can do it. Who? Tom Hanks in the Burbs when he eats the sardine and pretzel thing in the Clopex house and he starts sneezing uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know if. Anyone sold the burbs that way before, but 
with you saying that, I instantly <laughs> want to watch that. Which it's on Netflix I, I was now just gonna too. Say, I just I served that up to you. You just sold the burbs to me again, even though I've seen it like five times. I immediately have to watch it now <laughs> to see that scene, the sneezing scene. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay, back to Birdman. Getting a little bit off track here. I mean, the cinematography did it. I thought it was okay. I thought it was serviceable. It just it it didn't get me all excited like it seems to have gotten everyone else jazzed up it got me yeah it got me jazzed the thing that got me jazzed was the drum score from antonio sanchez oh my god and the incorporation of it where we would (laughs) you would occasionally sometimes you would just see him (laughs) just playing the drums love that oh my god the and the drum score was nearly constant Mm -hmm. through through almost the whole movie that's what that's what i love about it just added this energy to the yeah. To a film that is mostly just people walking around, essentially yeah. just walking from one conversation to another. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. actually large chunks of the movie where it's just Michael Keaton and the camera following Keaton until yeah. he comes to his next conversation. Yep. But just these kind of like reverse tracking shots of which, Michael Keaton walking. Yeah. To me, that's the thing. Like if the drum score wasn't there and say they those just kind of played out in silence, I would have been irritated beyond belief with this movie because there's just so much wasted time but with that drum score in there i'm okay with it and again that also aids to the frantic pace of the movie where you always feel like you're on a time crunch you always feel like there's not enough time to get the shit done that they need to get done in preparation for this play and the drum score just adds adds to that to me that was that was the number one aspect of this movie. I just absolutely loved the drum score. Loved it. It was my favorite part. Now, what did you think of the the fantastical elements? The more the the telekinesis and the him kind of having this inner monologue with himself as Birdman and all that stuff. I thought it worked. <clears throat> I thought it worked pretty well. Um, uh, I don't. I don't think they went overboard with it which is something that I was kind of worried about, especially considering that the movie starts off with him levitating. Yeah. I was just like, I was a bit worried that it was going to be nonstop. But I did love how it sort of kind of showcases his delusions of grandeur, that he thinks Mm. that he has these powers because he's so fucking special, but he's not. And he kind of comes to that realization towards the end of the movie because he's so caught up in his, his past glory days is birdman which i think is hilarious in and of itself <laughs> he was his superhero was a bird <laughs> hmm. well i mean and also the obvious thing is that this is this is a very mm-hmm. it, it's very interesting that michael keaton is in this role mm-hmm. just because of his past as playing batman and just like there was that one scene in the bar where the, the kid was like, who, who is this guy? And the, the mom says, oh, he used to be Birdman. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know that in Michael Keaton's life, there's probably been an instance where mm-hmm. someone says, he used to be Batman. Yes. And it just, it kind of makes you feel bad. Like, just, <laughs> man, what a sad existence. But, uh, and then there was also a couple other Well, yeah, they, and I mean, things. I'm pretty sure I would, I would venture a guess that that was keaton's casting is no accident because there's a a lot of talk about superheroes and towards the beginning of the film 
you know, where they're right. talking about all the actors. And it is kind of funny to see how many people are wrapped up in superhero movies now. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's one thing that they explore in that, especially at the beginning when he's watching the TV and they're talking to Robert Downey Jr. and all of that stuff and talking about the Avengers and this and that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it's that's an all very intentional, especially there's a there's a part where he says that he didn't want to do Birdman 4 and the the last one was in 1992 and that's when Batman Returns came out and he didn't want to do the third Batman movie. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure that it's all very intentional and you know, all that stuff worked for me, although when I was watching the movie, I wasn't really thinking about it. I was I didn't feel like I was watching Michael Keaton. I, I felt like I was watching um Riggin, you know, his character. Yeah. It it didn't feel like this was that meta where it detracted from the fictional story that was taking place on screen. Yeah. I so. I thought I thought he did an excellent job. As everyone else, I mean, no one really wowed me outside of Galifianakis. I thought he was, him and Keaton, I thought were the best. I thought, yeah, I thought Zach Galifianakis was was fine. He didn't, just, he didn't really floor me. It was definitely not a typical role for Zach Galifianakis. He played a more straight role, but he was still very funny in it. I think he, I just, I love all the, most of his lines had me rolling. <laughs> Yeah. One one of the things that I was kind of, I guess, taking them back a, a little bit was how much I actually felt for the character of Regan. Because just judging by the trailers and knowing what this movie's about, I kind of felt like I, I was not going to like the character too much. But I felt so bad for the guy because he didn't seem like that bad of a person. You know, it was just this struggle for relevance in this world and i think that the the scene where emma stone really chews him out where she flips out on him Mm -hmm. like that really to me that kind of encapsulates a lot of what this movie's about what's interesting too to look at that whole that whole sequence where she sort of takes him down a peg or a few pegs really because it's many many pegs because it is it is kind of funny you know this isn't this isn't new territory, you know, artists and such trying to find or strive for authenticity in their work, whether it be painting or movies, whatever it is. I mean, they're always striving for it. They get wrapped up in it so much that they kind of forget to explore that in their own lives with people that actually matter. Right. Yeah. They, you know, they just lose sight of that. And I, I think in a way that that kind of makes this a story of redemption. Why? Because the, as, and I like how they kind of tied that into the play that he's doing, the Carver mm-hmm. play with what we talk what we talk about when we talk about love, which is the play that he's putting on. And that sort of the the first scene that they're that they're working on, and then they go into the previews doing and everything is where Keaton's character is like, oh, you know, I never knew the guy. I only met him once. I didn't know much about him. And then as the film plays out, he's essentially talking about himself because towards the end of the play, he plays the guy that they're talking about earlier. So he starts to find himself and he doesn't like what he sees and it sort of plays out the same way as it does in the play. Right. There's a whole other aspect of this movie that gets into criticism and how 
<laughs> critics <laughs> critics deal with in this case it's a theater critic but you could easily oh, yeah. uh, transpose a, a movie critic onto that or you know uh although i will say that she not only does she shit on him and what he's doing but she also shits on movie criticism too and i don't know if you picked up on that but she she basically says that movies are just garbage compared to to theater mm-hmm. yeah yeah oh yeah and that that made me not feel as bad when he tears her a new one <laughs> <laughs> but i mean even even what he says and what she says i see i understand where they're both coming there's from. truth in both yeah statements for sure oh, definitely and the best part is you know that there's some truth in there because you can see that it kind of ruffled some film critics they didn't take too uh kindly oh really so yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah I've, I've, I've read a couple i uh, read uh scott tobias he oh, okay. he starts his off for the dissolve is going calling him a i forget what something he calls him a fraud but he adds some uh is what Keaton likes to say, labels in front of that. <laughs> but I did love that there, his little line about about how they ha- they always have to compare it to something else because that mm-hmm. is something that I can't stand that critics do. You know, if you're talking about a movie, just talk about a movie. Don't bring other movies into it. Just talk about the one that you saw. That's it. Yeah, I agree for the most part. Although I'm sure that that makes me a hypocrite because I'm sure that in my reviews I've oh I'm sure compared... I'm sure I've done it too. I'm sure I I've compare done. things to other things. Well, you got to think though. In defense of that, people read reviews to decide if they want to see a movie or not. And the easiest way to say yes, you should see this, or no, you shouldn't, you say, well, did you like blah blah blah? Well, then you'll probably like this. Yeah. You know, it's. It's this the easiest thing to do. It's just I I have a problem with that, and the other thing that I don't like is where they do like the reductive, reductive math style, where it's like, oh, it's like this movie mixed with this movie. I do that too. No, I don't like <laughs> on that. occasion. I don't like that because there what was there was one recently. I forget who the critic was, and I feel bad because I'm not trying to shit on people, but someone was trying to think of what. Oh, it was for Nightcrawler. They were saying that it was like they were trying to shove Drive into the network. Well, I've, yeah, which, I've read a lot of people comparing Nightcrawler to Network. Which I don't... I, I understand the network aspect. I get that. But what, uh, Drive? Where the hell are you getting Drive? I don't get that What, because he drives a car? I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get that. Maybe based on the marketing material, I could see that. Because even before I saw Nightcrawler, I was thinking Drive. But then when I saw Nightcrawler, I was like, okay, well, this is nothing like Drive. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't like that. Getting back to Birdman, I will say that I found it to be wildly entertaining. I loved pretty much all the performances in it. I thought it was very funny. I liked the the very fast pace of it. I liked being kind of behind the scenes of this production uh, I thought the scene where he gets locked out of <laughs> where he gets locked out and his robe gets stuck in the door to be very funny and sad. Um, the end the end I was a little wishy-washy on because it felt it felt very uh, I don't want to say Hollywood, but that's kind of it, it just it all worked out so very nicely and and uh, I had a hard time I can't really say what 
happens at the end, but the result of what happens at the end, I thought to myself, there's no way that would be what happens, you know? Um, yeah. <clears throat> again, I'm trying to dance around <laughs> the end. I did, I did enjoy, because kind of like what we, you know, what the movie talks about with that search for authenticity, how he ends opening night of the play and how the critic comes to, you know, call mm-hmm. him like theater savior right. or however she words it and how he's so unbelievable and it just it's funny because of what it took for right. her to come to do that <laughs> for her to come to that conclusion and i'm wondering if if it didn't end that way if she would have still given it a positive no review. she wouldn't have she wouldn't have but it, it, hmm. it is fun I, I don't i don't it is interesting that we've become so obsessed with authenticity and realism when it comes to film and we're so obsessed with plot holes and all of this oh, oh we'll get to that but we'll get to plot holes but we we don't do it in real life at all like there's plot holes in real life all the time that we can't explain what the hell happens and people don't get all freaked out about that but for some reason in film and stuff we everything's got to be perfect everything's got to be explained i just don't understand that like what happened? Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, I can see that. Where <clears throat> these days, and you I mean superhero movies are the perfect example of this. Well, that, yeah, like you know? the, the one, um, the latest Dark Knight movie. People are freaking out about plot holes and you know timing and all this. How do stuff. you have time yeah. to paint that on the wall? I'm like, dude, number one, you fucking bought into the idea that this rich guy is a fucking superhero. So come on. Come on, you already bought into that. That he has unlimited resources and he never loses and there's villains everywhere. You you've already bought into that world. Don't I start getting pissed off about timing and shit. Come on. Well, I think it's just maybe varying degrees of disbelief that people can can swallow. You know, like it's it would be easy for someone to say the Hulk can turn into a giant green monster, but then in that same movie, they could criticize, I don't know, the amount of destruction in the city or whatever, you know, whatever kind of plot holes people were putting out in the Avengers. And it, I think it is kind of odd because it's the, the big things people are okay with because they're like, okay, because they chalk it up to being a comic book movie. Yeah. Whereas it's the small it's the the small details that people seem to get hung up on Sorry. around around stuff like that and and I will admit that sometimes watching movies that have things like that I'll, I'll get hung up on them too you know I'll nitpick little details that don't make sense or or defy logic that's true it is but true. that's just I mean I guess that's just how it is with modern audiences I mean the, with filmmaking now i mean it's been around for quite some time and there's always going to be a progression with moving forward in the technology of filmmaking and storytelling and we've gotten to a point now where everything has to be so hyper real that anything that breaks that you're just like uh 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 he can't float <laughs> you're telling me this guy can float where but at the Throughout the rest of the whole movie, it's so easy to be like, and that was kind of what I was going back on 
when I was struggling to say the thing that I had a question about with the very end of this movie, something happens with his nose. And when I, when I first saw that, I was like, no way it would look like that. No way. <laughs> but it's like, for the rest of the, the whole movie, prior to that, I was perfectly fine with random-ass drummer showing up throughout. He's flying. <laughs> Buildings are exploding. They're, you know, all this other stuff. And I was, I was perfectly fine with that. But when, when he takes off the bandage, I'm like, oh, I don't think it would look like that. <laughs> but, I mean, it... It didn't. That didn't detract from the movie at all. Well, I, I will say that I still love the movie. But the other thing that I kind of saw happening in this film is that a a lot of what's going on, it's almost as if he's saying, "Stop taking everything so seriously. Mm. Just oh, stop yeah. it." Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a there's a lot going on. This movie has a lot to say, and I think that there's a lot of things you can take from it. I mean, it's a commentary on actors it's a commentary on criticism it's a commentary on superhero movies and i think along with the superhero movies it's like it's a superhero movie you know come off it just in its own way <laughs> in its own little way yeah it is so final thoughts on birdman oh birdman that damn that drum score I'm going to say highly recommend Birdman. This will most certainly go in my top 10. I will give this movie an, oh boy, I didn't, I didn't even think about a score. Right now I'll say eight and a half out of 10. I was going to say, because I forgot how I rated this. I was thinking eight, but apparently I gave this a nine off the bat. Okay. Well, in that case, I'll give it a nine since I seem to like it more than you. So I'm good. I'm going to say like eight, nine. Eight, nine, eight and a half. All right. Well, if you're going to give it an eight, I'll give it an eight and a half. Whatever. (laughs) If you're giving it an (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. Go fucking see it. (laughs) See, that's that's the the other thing. You know, we have numbers and stuff, but do we take these numbers seriously? (laughs) No, we don't. No, no one takes them seriously. I love love the sites that... I I saw one review on Letterboxd that gave a movie like a 7.25, and I love... Because I, I go to IGN for video game news, and I always see their reviews, and it's like a 9.1. And those, like, seem even more arbitrary to me. 9.1. 9.1. That's what I mean. Nine. That's what I mean. We take all of this entirely too seriously, okay? Way too seriously. Chill, well, let's talk. chill the fuck out. It's interesting. I was I was talking to my girlfriend's brother this weekend, and he's not a big movie guy. He doesn't. He's not as fanatical as we are, or probably those of you listening. And he he made a good point because I he asked me about Birdman, and I told him he's like, "What would you score it out of ten? And I said, "I don't know, probably an eight and a half or a nine. And he was like, "And and then I said to him, "I don't really like giving number scores and." I find it to be kind of arbitrary and I'm sure a lot of other critics agree, but what he said was, you know, sometimes I'm at Redbox and I see a movie and I don't know anything about it. I'll just pull up my phone and see see the score, see what the critics consensus is and just make a snap decision on whether or not I want to get this movie. And for that, I can actually kind of understand why a score might be mm-hmm. kind of beneficial cuz you're not going to fucking sit there and read 
a 500 word review on a movie to decide if you want to rent it on when you're standing there at Redbox, you know? Well, that's, that's kind of like what we talk, we've talked about this numerous times before. You got to find your person, you know, you got to find your critic that you line up with. Cause like my number system is different than your number system. You know, like I put a lot more stock in cinematography than maybe say you put in screenplay or the writing or the plot I will line, say though you know what I mean yeah absolutely but I will say though uh our numbers are never far off from each other rarely far that's off true. from each other that's true I, I think that you and I have very similar likes and dislikes when it comes to movies I mean that's why this that's why I've been doing this that's why it works that's why it's worked for so long that's right or at least we think it works yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, there there have been times where I thought about trying to get Todd on more on the show more because he always seems to have very differing opinions than we do. Because I, I do think that when you talk about a movie where the people involved have very differing opinions, that it can lead to a more interesting conversation. But, you know, it is what it is. We like a lot of the same shit. What can you say? Let's move on to our next movie. <clears throat> Why don't you play in hell? This is directed by Shion Sono. And uh, I have a synopsis here. A renegade film crew becomes embroiled with the Yakuza clan feud. Um, Sure. Yeah. Very quick and... It does. It's a very sparse synopsis. It does kind of happen. I feel like this movie has a lot to say, too. Uh, like, Like the other movies that we're talking about today. And I've seen people... Uh, I think I read a couple blurbs on letterbox people comparing this to holy motors and i can definitely see that because this is kind of sono's love letter to to 35 millimeter filmmaking Mm -hmm. and i gotta say i had a blast with this movie i had such a good time with it it was crazy and ridiculous so ridiculous on every level and I think it's been quite a while since I've seen a movie about making movies done this this good. Yeah, I would agree. This is just uh, this is just stupid, silly fun. Intentionally so. <laughs> yes. I think that it should be mentioned that this is a very gory, violent movie, over the top, ridiculous, violent. But it's all done in such a cartoonish way. Yes. That none of it is to be taken seriously. <laughs> there's just there's so much that doesn't make sense in this movie. And Right. It's just and it's it's wacky. And it's, it's one of those things that I just I love it for that fact. That they just don't care. It's so absurd. One of my I think one of my favorite things about this movie is just every single character, it's like it's like Sono, when he was directing them, he was just like, all right, I want you to be as energetic and excited and happy as you possibly can be, even though your life is in danger and you're probably going to die at any second, you got to be at 11 the whole time. And that's just how, it, how every character acts. They're always just so happy and then, <laughs> about what's going on. And especially for the fuck bombers. Oh, the fuck bombers. Yeah. Especially the director. He's just so, he is so invested in every single thing that they're doing. Even though and you you watching it are like, this is completely pointless. You guys are going nowhere. Like you're just wasting time here. But 
they don't see it that way. They're just doing what they love. And that's kind of... That's making movies that have no plot, (laughs) no structure whatsoever. They're just filming stuff. But that's that's filmmaking, you know, that for people that are 100% invested in the art of filmmaking and they're going to do whatever it takes to get their movie made, even though it might take them a long time. I mean, t- a, an entire decade goes by in this movie. And all, all you know? they have is like a sizzle reel. <laughs> uh, the shot on video, and they have one VHS. Yeah, but man, but they got their shot. They got it. They got their shot. They were all about it. So I found the movie that I thought that it kind of lagged a bit in the middle. Oh yeah. In the middle bits, maybe like in the second act, it was just kind of slowed down and it was, I was just waiting for something to happen. It's, it's interesting because as I was watching it, it felt to me that the movie finally started and there was only 45 minutes left. Well, that's the thing. The the final act of this movie, when they actually start to make the movie, it's just this... I mean, it, it's got to be 30 minutes long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a no-holds-barred bloodbath for, it for is. the last half hour. And, it's, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're just like, okay, I understand. This exactly. is the payoff. Exactly. I was... Like, I got kind of... Like you said, it dragged a little bit in the middle there, mostly when the fuck bombers weren't involved. Like, when it right. went away from yeah. them and went into the Yakuza, it, right. to me, it felt like it dragged a little bit. I missed I missed the enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, it finally starts. The movie finally starts, and there's about 45 minutes left, and you're like, okay, this is what I've been waiting to see this entire movie since I first started watching it. This is what I wanted to happen. And then, man, does it deliver. And that, and it just makes up for all that build up, you know. I'm completely fine yeah. with the hour long build up, where it just seems like the movie was wandering around, not really doing anything. I completely, I was just okay with it after after I finally got to see all of it culminate in that ridiculous right. finale. And, and it makes it makes everything before it kind of it justifies everything before it. It makes it all kind of fit together. It's all worth Co- it. Coalesce <laughs> once once that big finale starts. And, and boy, is it a finale. Oh it's God. long and amazing. There's just so much blood and there's arms flying everywhere <laughs> and heads. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I just, I, there's a lot of things that I love about this movie that are just really nonsensical. I love the excessive use of like screen wipes and mm-hmm. the slow mo and <laughs> where the it would freeze pull, the freeze frame pulling, especially at the very beginning where he, the guy stutters girlfriend and then pauses on his face and zooms in, <laughs> and mm. the fact that the one clan decides to you know wear kimonos. Yeah, they're like, let's stop that... dressing like foreigners. <laughs> We're wearing kimonos, <laughs> and then there's this whole that whole sequence, that whole sequence when he's telling them what how to change and take off the rings and shave and all that. And he's like, you go first and then you shave, shave your mustache. I don't like it. It doesn't look good on you. Oh my God. That it's was amazing. Just, it's just, it was a very, very uh, well balanced with its gore and its comedy. And just, yeah. And the, I mean, I there's the, a, there's a point where a guy gets beheaded out of nowhere and it's yeah. absolutely yeah. hilarious. And you don't see it coming either. No. Cause he's, 
yeah, he's like a major player in this whole thing. And it just, there's no big, you know, build up to it. It just randomly happens. And it's at the hands of a random dude. And his head goes <laughs> flying in the air and blood spurting out. But he still pops his hands up and gives like a thumbs up. <laughs> on the... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Another guy gets a samurai sword stuck in his head. And he keeps going. He's just, and all the while, just walking around. All the while, you're you have this tune, this this like kind of J poppy toothpaste <laughs> commercial <laughs> commercial <laughs> stuck in your head, and it's just amazing. I mean, yeah. I had so much fun with this movie. You, I, I, <laughs> it's ridiculous because a lot of this is just riding off of the fact that everyone desperately wants this little girl from the toothpaste commercial. Now that she's grown up, ten years later, they just want her to be in film. Yeah, they just want her to be in the movie. They all love her. It's it's. But yeah, it's they, I mean, the, the the when the director and everything goes and meets with the other clan, and she comes in and sings the song. The look on the leader's face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the joy, the joy that he <laughs> that it brings him. He makes that weird face where he he like pops off his upper lip and like uh-huh. folds it <laughs> over his chin. <laughs> I love the. Uh, Maybe we should step back a little bit because we didn't really we read the synopsis, but we didn't really talk about what the, what the what the hell's even going on in this movie. No one knows. So it's essentially about these two two warring yakuza clans, and they the one clan decides to hire a film crew to shoot this raid in order to make a movie for the 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 boss's wife. When he when she gets out of prison, mm-hmm. so that she can see her daughter be a famous movie actress. Correct. <laughs> and that that's the basic premise of what's happening here. And if that doesn't sell you, I don't know what will. Because once the chaos starts, it's hilarious. They they fight for about five minutes, and the lights go out, and they have to stop fighting. And they're fighting for real in this i mean they're killing each other which is it is kind of funny because you do sort of get lulled into the fact that you kind of forget that people are dying yeah and like when the one guy gets his hand cut off it's just finally that realization that oh my god this is real yeah <laughs> and they, they're all sword fighting too they the director decides to get rid of the guns and they're and both sides are perfectly okay with that for some reason because and eventually, every, everyone wants to see this girl in a movie. Yeah, they're all. On but board. I think, but but I think more than that too. They also want to see themselves in a movie. Yeah, like the the one the other leader, the yakuza guy who they filmed ten years prior. You could tell that he was all about it. So the whole time, even though these yakuza people are are <laughs> fighting to the death, they're always they're hamming it up for the camera. Mm-hmm. So, so it's all completely ridiculous. And that just makes it even more entertaining to watch. Oh, I'm just remembering now how you'd always mug at the camera and smile. Yeah. Like as he's going around and cutting people up. Yeah. He's always, he always cognizant of the camera. I love their buddy with the, the Bruce Lee outfit and how he was just basically doing a Bruce Lee impersonation the whole time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he looks like a Japanese Mads Mikkelsen for some reason. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, this movie also is kind of playing homage to many other movies. 
I think that that's where the the Holy Motors um, comparison comes from. It's heavily influenced by Bruce Lee movies and Tarantino movies, and clearly the movies that uh, Sono admires. Yeah, and they and they even th- discuss it a couple of times where you know he's giving them direction on how to be samurai, and they right, start and start that, yelling out the people they want to be like. And the fuck and the fuck bombers are kind of obsessed with the idea of 35 millimeter film. And when they realize that they, they're going to have an opportunity to shoot on 35 millimeter, they lose it. And they kind of look up to this old guy who's a, uh, a 35 millimeter projectionist and their home base is in an old theater. And so it's very, very much <clears throat> made for cinephiles, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. It is, I think the only thing that I do have a problem with, I, just, I do feel that it's a bit bloated. It's really the I, only problem that I have with it. But like I said earlier, the ending, the finale really makes up for a lot. It makes you forget. It makes you forget mm-hmm. about the bloat from the previous two acts. Like, <clears throat> I mean, to, to me, the, in the end, I love the, the way that they ended it. Uh, one of the other things that I thought was so funny when they were, when they first, when the film crew first met, with the Yakuza and they're trying to figure out how they want to make this movie. The, the fantasy scene for, for the director, <laughs> the scene where they show the, the, the other Yakuza gang and they're sitting there and they're drinking and, and the guy just comes in and he sets up like the, the tripod and they're just like, what is, what is this? That, just how all that whole thing unfolded was amazing. And, and I also love the, there's, it feels as though there's entirely too much blood. Oh yeah, there's just way too much blood here. But it's I, great. I think again, I think again that was going back to the kind of eighties oh, yeah. style oh, yeah. samurai movies where it was just geysers, you know, like, <laughs> it's just blood geysers everywhere. <laughs> oh my god! I, w- I wish they wouldn't. I, and I think it also plays with the. Modern, more modern Japanese horror themes where you have like Tokyo Gore Police and movies like that that are completely over the top with the CG gore. Mm-hmm. So it plays around with those movies too. And I think that in a way it's celebrating those movies, but I think it's also kind of criticizing them too. I mean, it could be. I could see it both ways. I think what it boils down to is that it's just Shian Sono having a ball. Yeah. He's he just having a ball. He just doesn't give a shit. And I will say, like, I, I love this guy's movies. I loved Suicide Club. I loved Cold Fish. I still want to call it Suicide Circle. Because remember when we saw it, it wasn't, they didn't even call it Suicide Club. It was called Suicide Circle. I still call it Suicide Circle. So Yeah, That's, so do I. I just, it's, I've been training myself to call it Suicide Club. I won't. I'm still holding out. I was not a huge fan of Noriko's Dinner Table, which was actually the sequel yeah. to, to Suicide Club. Yeah, which, I found that to be a little too plodding and, and slow. It was just... A bit bloated. bit bloated. <laughs> that was bloated, yeah. Cold, Cold Fish was maybe a little bit too bloated, too, now that I think about it. But it was still great. But Cold Fish was definitely a lot different than this movie. This movie, I could see shades of Suicide club in there just because of the over-the-top ridiculous nature of it mm-hmm. and especially with the 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 toothpaste jingle that played played a pretty prominent role in the movie 
Oh, God. So, why don't you play in hell? Playing on demand now. Absolutely check this one out. This probably will go in my top ten, also. I think it, it might sneak into mine. Yeah. I don't want to. For sure. I, also, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tie, like, 40 movies. I know. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. So, what are you going to give... Why don't you play in hell? I'm going to give that an 8. I'm also going to give it an 8. Almost, I, I would say this is almost a masterpiece for me. Just, I just, oh, so great. Just go see it. Um, our next movie, our final movie, <laughs> Interstellar, directed by Christopher Nolan. I have a synopsis here. A group of explorers use a newly <clears throat> discovered wormhole. To surpass the limitations on human space travel and conquer an interstellar endeavor. Remember that commercial with the guy that... <laughs> I, don't, I can't remember what the commercial was for. Is like Rackspace or something. Where he was coming up with new ways to deliver content. He's like, wormholes. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Oh, it was an old commercial. Uh, I think I do this... know what you're talking about now. Yeah, because you and I used to always say it. We used to always go wormholes. Uh, this stars Matthew McConaughey, Mackenzie Foy, John Lithgow's in there, Ellen Burstyn's in there, uh, Anne Hathaway. Uh, who am I forgetting? Michael Caine. You see Michael Caine, Wes Bentley, uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. So another movie that will undoubtedly spark a lot of conversation. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Interstellar, Kevin? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, bloated. <laughs> bloated, man. This, that, that's, the, that's the title of this week's show. Oh, bloated. Jesus. Every this... time I hear bloated, I think of John Waters <laughs> doing one of his bits where he's talking about somebody in Baltimore who he heard overheard walking down the street saying, I'm bloated. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, that is obviously the number one problem I have with this movie. Um, I have a, I, there's, well. there's entirely too much that is just drawn out for entirely too long. Where it's, you know, they're trying... I understand that he's building it up and he's trying to make it a tense sequence. and But it just goes on for too long. This is an epic movie... Kevin, there's a lot going on in this movie. But, he has a lot to say to us about humanity. But not that much to say. There's so much to say about humanity, okay? We have the future, we have wormholes, we have paradoxes, we have black, relativity. Black holes. There's so much. Singularities. Whew. Oh boy. Now, one of the biggest problems that I had outside of the bloated runtime and just the pacing of this entire movie is a lot of the dialogue at the beginning of this, pretty much like halfway through, is what the hell is it? What is it? What's going on here? Why are things being spelled out to me? And just the, the number of times that they would explain something and then someone would have to add that little bit of like explanation just to like clear everything up. Where he's like, oh, you bringing me back from the dead. Yeah, Lazarus Project. <laughs> that it's was, like, come oh on. Oh, my God. That was the one line that really sticks out to me. And you know what the problem is? Is they did it in the beginning of the film. They explained Lazarus to us like <laughs> yeah, we didn't know. Lazarus. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. they had the point it out there. And it's like, no, I, I know what Lazarus is. But, okay, I understand some people might not. So, okay. 
But then well, to do it again later at the end, like, oh, maybe I did forget what Lazarus is all about because, you know, you've been kind of fucking kicking the can around for the last hour and a half. So maybe I did forget. But thanks for clearing it up for me. Well, that's kind of the thing about this movie, right? They they explain so everything. Much. Everything is spelled out and explained except the stuff that, that can't be explained. Well, that's the but, the funny thing that about this movie is over explanation in the beginning. I mean, just rampant throughout the entire film it, towards the beginning. But then in the final third, they just throw it all out the window and they explain yeah, and, nothing. And this is... This is definitely going to be stuff that we get into spoilers, but for me, uh, I, I didn't have a problem with the dialogue per se. I mean, it, it didn't it didn't bother me. I mean, with Nolan movies, a lot of things are explained like that. I mean, that's yeah, kind of kind of how a lot of his movies are. And I don't I don't know because I kind of want to go back and watch his other films, but I just don't remember him being. This that like that on the nose, yeah, because it's like it's really on the nose a lot. Well, there's certain things about this that are way too on the nose, uh, specifically like with Matt Damon's character's name's Man. Like to me, that's (laughs) so on the nose, but yeah, for the most part, I uh, I, I didn't have a problem with the dialogue or anything like that for for me i started having real problems with the movie in that final third well to me that's that's when i started having like just serious issues with it but i i mean for the most part a lot of the on the nose stuff in the beginning made me roll my eyes maybe you know a frustrated sigh here or there but i i was okay with it because they're just they're little bits here and there and i can understand him dumbing it down a little bit for like a wider audience. I can understand that. It's insulting, but whatever. But that whole, uh, the Anne Hathaway, where she's talking about mm-hmm. love. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just... Well, come. that played, that played, turned out to be one of the, kind of the central themes of the movie, right? That Because he, not only does she go through that whole explanation, but he comes back to it, and that turns out to be one of the, defining Which, moments in the in the movie again that's fine that's okay just but if that's what your entire movie is going to be hinging on let's make sure that that is written well yeah let's not yeah. let's not that be the most laughable part chunk of dialogue in your entire movie. yeah you know what i mean yeah. let's no, really I... let's focus on that one let's tighten it up and let's deliver it the way it should be delivered if a three-hour movie is going to be hinged on that chunk of dialogue let's not have it be laughable i agree i completely agree with you on there uh one thing i will say visually uh this movie is amazing i was completely blown away by the visuals and the sound too although the the sound mixing was a little a little off okay on it so this is something that i'm glad you brought this up because i probably would have forgotten about because i didn't notice a lot of people discussing this before i saw this whole sound mixing what were you guys experiencing or what were people experiencing? Okay, well, apparently people that saw this in 70 millimeter at the IMAX had some issues with it. Um, there are several times throughout the movie where the, the, the sound effects and music uh, almost drown out the dialogue, where it's difficult to even hear what they're saying. Now, that didn't happen. There was only one instance where that 
happened in my screening. Now I saw it at the IMAX, but it was in digital. Unfortunately, there is no uh, no project uh, seventy millimeter projectors in any of the theaters around me. So I did see it in IMAX. It was full frame IMAX, so it was the big daddy, but uh, it was still in digital. There was one scene where I noticed that was the the sound, the sound effects and the music were just a bit too loud and I could barely hear what they were saying. Gotcha. The other thing was there was at least one scene where the, the sync, it got out of sync and the lips did, did not match the, the voices. (laughs) And that, that was, it was a pretty brief moment. It was at the beginning of the movie when they were at the baseball game. Okay. And it only happened, it was very brief, but it was enough for me to actually notice and think like, uh uh-oh, you know? But, yeah. I'm assuming that you just saw it in regular. I just saw it in regular, and knowing that going in, people having, like, sound mixing qualms with the movie and everything, I was was really looking out for it in the beginning. But I didn't really notice anything. That's why I was kind of curious as to to what it was. Yeah, I guess... Maybe the people that saw it in 70 millimeter had more issues, but I haven't heard everybody complaining about it. Certainly wasn't enough for me to detract from the overall experience or anything like that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but I thought that the sound overall was excellent and the the visuals I just thought were at times breathtaking. There was that one scene towards the beginning I can't even remember exactly what it was. Maybe when they were first launching into space where it was so loud and I was just like, holy shit, this is incredible. <laughs> and there was, the, there was that scene and then there's another scene that happens later on in the movie that we may talk about in spoilers where uh, it's a pretty long scene, but it's a very, very tense scene where there's a lot of shit going on. And I was just like, oh, oh my God, oh my God. It was just so incredible to me so visually i thought it was amazing i think you should see it if if people listening if you're on the fence about it i think you should go see it just for the visuals see it in the theater now see for me that is because i love the visuals as well i love the different planets that you got to see the way that they were rendered i thought were spectacular um when they did like the extreme close-up of saturn i thought that that looked amazing I love the look of the black hole, you know, when they go through the wormhole. All of this stuff yeah. I thought looked amazing. Enough so that it does, for me at least, because I'm so much more invested in visuals compared to the narrative, that it kind of made up for the lackluster narrative that was on display here. So I'm not, I'm, mm, like, I didn't yeah. like the I... movie a lot, but there's enough redeeming factors for me. That I didn't outright hate it because there's no, there's no, a lot of exa- there, there's a lot of faults with this with this screenplay. I agree. Yeah, completely agree. And I, I think most critics probably will agree with that that sentiment also. Where it's still worth seeing just for the visuals alone. I think that the the story may be a little bit lacking, and there's certainly some major flaws in the plot. But also, I, I think that. Christopher Nolan movies have this maybe unfairly high standard to them where when we watch Christopher Nolan movies, we look at them completely different than any other director. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like 
if it's not a masterpiece, then we start picking it apart. Oh, people and, love to come down on Nolan. And I don't it. know, maybe it's just because he's that good, and he's just, I mean, even even directors like Scorsese, you're just like, I feel like there, anything that Nolan puts out, it's always looked at with a microscope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it. I mean, I I did it with this movie too. And, and I, I couldn't help but thinking to myself, if this was any other director, would I be as hard on it as I am when it comes to picking apart the plot? And I, I, I can't say that I would be. I mean, I think, no, no, I don't think you would be. Well, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? It's hard, to, it's, it's should, hard to tell. It's hard to tell. But maybe, I don't know. Maybe he should be, uh, you know, looked at. Well, all I know is I, you know, because I know that there's Nolan haters out there that just they go off on his movies. I just not something that I quite understand because I never think of I never thought of Christopher Nolan as one of those like art house auteurs. You know, I don't, and it seems like people like pick him apart for that reason because they're like trying to show that he's a fraud or something. But I've always seen him as just like a blockbuster, straightforward storyteller that has some nice visuals. I've never seen him as anything bigger than that. I think a lot of times it has to do with the complexity of his movies. Well, I, and I will, I will agree that with, with this film and to some extent inception is, it seems like he gets sort of stuck in this K hole of making the plot so intricate that he yeah. kind of forgets that he's telling a, a story that he's supposed to be telling a story, and he's just trying to like layer it upon layer and layer and layer and layer. Because at a certain point in this movie, I'm just like, all of this is kind of for nothing. Well, when you finally yeah. get to well, the, like back to the beginning, you're like, so a lot of this was pointless. Well, yeah, and that's we'll <laughs> definitely just get in that superfluously making it intricate. Yeah, but. The one thing that I wanted to say before I got off my tangent, like always, is with knowing that there's Nolan haters out there, I wanted to see what they're saying. And I only got snippets of it so far because I watched it today, like three hours ago. But one of the things that I love is a lot of discussion about the plot holes of this movie are they're like tearing this guy apart. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, he's not a scientist. He's not a scientist. Okay, he makes movies. Chill the fuck out. Well, I don't know if you saw today Neil deGrasse Tyson voiced his comments about the movie. And it, it seems like he's saying that this is more scientifically sound than gravity. Well, so, see, and this is my. That was pretty interesting. This is my problem with gravity. Because I think that this is far better than gravity. I think this is far better than gravity. But, and I'm sure it does. Shit ton of people disagree with that. No, but here's one of the biggest yeah. problems. It's better. <laughs> one of the one of the biggest uh, discrepancies for these two films. The plot holes that are being discussed in Interstellar are very intricate. We're talking like high-level quantum physics stuff going on here. A lot of the plot holes with gravity were simple things like, hey, are all the satellites on the same like altitude right. in space? Yeah. No, yeah. they're not. Oh, okay. I could have asked any scientist that and gotten that answer. You know well, what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like, well, there's simpler plus, uh, than what's yeah. going on here. There's more theory <clears throat> happening in Interstellar. Like yeah. th- a lot of the things that they explore in this movie are unknowable as it stands now with and, science. And another thing, which I you know, round of applause for the Nolan brothers on this one, 
is you use black holes, which no one knows what the hell a black hole, what happens. So guess what? You have free reign. You can do whatever the fuck you want because it's yeah. a black hole. Well, we're getting a little... Do whatever. Getting, yeah. Um, before we get into spoilers, because I, I want to go back to the black hole thing in spoilers, uh, I want to comment on the, the performances. I mean, there's a, a huge number of great people in this movie. Did, I don't know if I mentioned Jessica Chastain and Casey Affleck also. Yeah, but I, uh, I thought they were all right. Well, they, they didn't get much to do, though. Right. They they were more minor. Uh, they had more minor roles than the other people. But I thought everybody was fantastic. I thought McConaughey, once again, knocked it out of the park, especially during those um, more emotional scenes, like with the the video logs and stuff. I thought that he did a fantastic job, as always. And I think everybody else did a solid job also. I would agree. Um, the other person that stuck out for me, which is someone I don't think I've ever seen <clears throat> in movies before, and that was David Gyasi. Is that how he spells or pronounce his name? I'm not sure. He was the guy who played Romley. Oh, okay. I enjoyed Romley. I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think he did a good job too. I would say I thought he was the second best out of everyone. And who's the first? McConaughey? McConaughey. And then, well... I guess you could say Anne Hathaway too, because it's not yeah, really it's great. not really her fault that the lines that she was delivering. I'm sort of unfairly was... I'm sort of unfairly putting that against her her uh, performance, but it's not really her mm. fault that she's delivering those lines. You know what I mean? She didn't write them. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and jump into some spoilers for Interstellar. Before we do that, let's go ahead and give our scores for Interstellar. Interstellar I'm gonna scores. S- I'm gonna say this is really tough for me because there's so much I thought I loved about this movie, and there's so much that I was just like, eh, didn't really work for me. And I think that it was, it, I think it had moments of greatness. And when there's movies that have moments of greatness, I have a really hard time scoring <laughs> them. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna throw out a number, and I'll say seven and a half. Mm. I'm thinking like a six and a half, seven. Because the other thing that, and I'm sure we'll discuss this, the the very end of this movie felt unnecessary for me. Okay. Well, let's go ahead. We're going to put the spoiler section at the end of the show. So if you have seen Interstellar, stay tuned after the, after the outro and uh, tune in then. All right, let's talk about some predictions. All right. Last week, we said Interstellar. You said 86. I said 82. Actual 73. Big Hero 6. You said 90. I said 89. Actual 91. Ooh. Didn't get a chance to see that. I'm, I'm interested in this one. Yeah, I'm I'm going to try to check it out this weekend or maybe sometime this week. I'm starting to get excited. It looks, yeah, it looks fun. Jezebel, you said 47. I said 56. Actual 24. I did see that one this weekend, and it's no good. No good. I like Sarah Snook, the the main character. Mark Webber's in it, too, and I like him. But other than that, pretty typical ghost story. Mm. Next week, we have Dumb and Dumber 2. What are you thinking on this? Oh, my God. I am so happy that this is finally coming out, just so I don't have to see any of those goddamn trailers. I gotta say, I gotta say, 
as dumb as it may be and as dumb as it may look, every time I've, not every time, but the first couple times I saw the trailer made me laugh. And I saw a couple clips and they made <clears throat> me laugh too, so. I'm just getting sick and tired of the the whole phone, that whole oh, the phone, phone scene. Yeah, yeah. That, that to me is not funny. And that's kind of like their their main sell for the movie, which doesn't seem good. And the fact really? that I saw a trailer for Dumb and Dumber 2 before Birdman, like it's everywhere. And I just want it to go away. Uh, what are you thinking on Dumb and Dumber 2? I'm thinking uh, 42. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be bad, but I don't know. The only thing I'm afraid of is that it's going to be the exact same jokes yeah, I, that were in the, in the first one. You know, as, as a callback, like, hey, remember we did this joke and like the I like it a lot. Yes, like that. I think it's going to be all of that. I don't want it to be the same jokes. It's I want gonna, it to be. It's going to be. Some of the same jokes are fine, but just as a, I don't know. I'll say forty six. Uh, we also have Foxcatcher oh, yeah. next week. Probably not going wide, but we'll go ahead and predict it anyway. I will say 86 on Foxcatcher. I'm interested in this one. Very, very interested. I am as well. You said 86? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say 80, 82. Uh, also, we have Kurt Cameron's Saving Christmas. Shut up. Which is funny. I bet I can almost guarantee you. In fact... I can guarantee you that we are getting this one here next weekend, and I can almost guarantee you that we are not getting Foxcatcher. Hallelujah. Have you seen the trailer for this? No. And I'm, you should watch it. Nope. You should watch yeah, the trailer, uh-uh. nope. and you'll just be like, oh my god. No, thank you. Well, the good news is it gives us an opportunity to... Oh, never mind. I already gave Ryan his movie this week. I was going to say, it gives us a great opportunity to give Ryan some good stuff, but... Darn it. Are we, uh, are... I gave him I gave him Dumb and Dumber er so nice little sneak peek for this week's Ryan watches movie. Uh, Saving Christmas, I'm going to say, or it's you. What do you What do you think? Four. Okay, I'll say nine. God, that movie looks so bad. Mm. Next week in limited release, we have Beyond the Lights. I think that's actually getting a wide release, but I don't really even know anything about it. We have the Almsman, which is the Tommy Lee Jones, Hillary Swank Western. Looks pretty good. Okay. I like that. Yeah, this is like a, I forgot about that. I think it was just recently that I said, where's Hillary Swank been? But there she, forgot about that one. There she is. Rosewater, which is the Jon Stewart one. Okay. I'm interested. Miss Meadows. That's the one with... Katie Holmes looks pretty bad. Bad turn worse. What? Wolves. I'm not sure what that's about. Wolves, which I did not like. You were a huge fan of Wolves. The Toy Soldiers, Starry Eyes, which I did like, and Penance. Yeah. Next huh. week on what? That's a that's a that's a kind of a lackluster. Lackluster yeah. lineup there. Yeah, a little bit. Mm. I mean, if Foxcatcher is playing in your area, I'd check that one out. But I mean, I'll be seeing Dumb and Dumber too. <laughs> but I don't have very high expectations for it. 
Next week on demand, we have Always Woodstock, Bad Turn Worse, Miss Meadows, Story Eyes, and Being Nice. Okay. Uh, Story Eyes again. I check that one out. Next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we have The Damned, which I don't recommend. It's a horror movie. Drive Hard, which I will be watching tonight Ooh. to do a Blu-ray do Blu-ray review of that one, but it doesn't look very good. Happy Christmas. I'd recommend seeing that, although I don't know if I'd buy it on DVD. Nah, I wouldn't. How to Train Your Dragon 2, which I liked a lot. And I'm sure that one's probably worth picking up because it Bet it has all kinds of bonus stuff on it. Jersey Boys. Uh, let's be cops. <laughs> oh, God. I uh, don't recommend Let's Be Cops. Mood Indigo. Yeah, I recommend that. I recommend that one. That's a Draft House release, so you know that the Blu ray is going to have all kinds of great stuff on it. And Tammy. Tammy. <laughs> oh, man. I forgot about Tammy. I forgot. Most people did. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. Most people forgot about that the week it came out. Oh boy! Any criterions? There is or any others I missed. There is one criterion, and that is a a double, a two filmer, two filmer. Mont- Monte Hillman, two westerns: The Shooting, okay. nineteen sixty six, and Ride in the Whirlwind, nineteen sixty six. These actually look uh, these actually look pretty good because these are these were shot for Roger Corman. Hmm. With Jack Nicholson in there. Oh, okay. So it's the early early Nicholson Corman team up. Yeah. Westerns. Uh it's, still still not interesting. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Westerns, but if it's something that's not your normal style of Western, I'm interested. And this this looks different. I don't know Could what be. I don't know when I'll see them, but at some point in time I will be checking them out. There you go. Alright, I think that'll wrap it up for this week. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter, at FilmPulseNet and at FilmPulseKevin. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For FilmPulse.net, my name's Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. And be sure to stay tuned for our interstellar spoiler discussion. Spoilers! Too many All right, let's talk some interstellar spoilers. The the problems for me were mainly within the end of the movie and how it all tied together with Matthew McConaughey going into the black hole and then he's in this like fifth dimension or whatever and the concept of that. Now visually I thought it looked cool, you know, how oh, it, it was Oh man. He was in this in this black hole where he's in her room and every moment that has ever existed in that room is, is on display and he could kind of go to any moment that he wanted in time. I thought that that looked, looked cool. I, I especially loved when they powered down the Tesseract and you sort of saw that dimension fold in on itself 
the way that that right. looked up from the corner and how it sort of engulfed him. I thought that that looked fantastic. That so visually, I thought it looked awesome, but uh, the the way in which he communicates with his daughter, it just seemed ridiculous well, to me. It, it, like, first of all, okay, so when he goes back. All of a sudden, we realize that all of the strange occurrences that happened in the previous two hours and 45 minutes, it was all him. We realized which, that. Yeah, which I I knew from the beginning. And I was oh, kind of hoping of that that wasn't going to be it. Yeah, but just of, the, of course you knew that's yeah. what it was going to be. But the thing, the thing about it is, like, did he forget that he warned himself not to leave using the exact same method mm-hmm. you know with the stay thing still did he forget that he did that before because you'd think that he'd come up with another way of being like oh don't go or whatever yeah that's that's the first thing the second thing is how he delivers this data on the black holes to jessica chastain through, through morse code through the second hand on a, f- a watch. Hey, hey, that's a Hamilton watch, goddammit. Okay, well, I don't County. care. Hamilton don't is care. from Lancaster County, buddy. Oh, that's amazing. Well, but not I... anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> they're, they're a Swiss company that got bought out by Swatch. But I was just, I was very excited to see a Hamilton watch. That made me happy. And, and I thought about you when I saw that. I was like, oh boy, a watch is playing a big role in this movie. Here we go, Kevin. <laughs> okay. It was all like, yes, uh, Hamilton. Yeah, oh my god! I mean, how long must it have taken for him to deliver all of that okay. information? And so, what is she doing, sitting what, there for like two weeks? This is the problem that I have with that. So he records it in the second hand of the Hamilton because he's able to ma- manipulate gravity. But wouldn't he have how- to do that constantly? Is suit because he has to be manipulating gravity. In order, like once he takes his hand out of the gravitational field that's manipulated in the second hand, isn't all that information lost because he is no longer manipulating gravity? But also, how did he even know which of those, like, because they, they're like strands. How did he even know which one was the one that would magically manipulate that one specific item in the in the? Because he's able to room. see the strands now, man. That's the only thing that. Is what I kind of applaud Nolan for is that it's a black hole. He can he has free reign to do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, but I, because but you see, can't you can't argue against it. Essentially, no. I, but I can't argue against the super intelligent robots that escorted them throughout the movie either. But at the same time, to me, that stuff. It just didn't fit it because the rest of the movie felt so grounded and logical. And then once you get into the black hole, it's just like, okay, well, everything is out the window. And then not only that, but so he delivers this Morse code message that somehow makes her think, okay, well, now I know what's going on in black holes. So I'm going to fix the entire well, this situation. Is, see, that's the thing that bothers me is which, that I, what does she do with that information then? Like how does she, she builds a space station? I know. Which, which negates everything that they were trying to do with going through the wormhole and finding a new planet. And I mean, that Edmund planet, that's still there. And apparently they did colonize it or something. Which makes you think that wouldn't they still have, because they never lost contact with that ship that Hathaway was on. So why did they not have 
communication with that colony. And why even her getting the information about the wormhole or, you know, the black hole and everything, how does that help her bring the space station up and orbit Saturn and have them survive? Like, how does, I don't understand how manipulating gravity allows them to live. Like, it still doesn't give them oxygen. But again, it's not, you know, no one's not a goddamn scientist, okay? So a lot of this stuff is just going to be whatever you want it to be. Right, but he had scientists involved in in the movie. To me, I mean, it's not like he just... It's not like him and his brother just winged it when it was coming I, to I know, but that's the when science I, behind the movie. But of course there's going to be plot holes because we don't know. If we did know these things, we would have done something with it by now. You know what I mean? Like these, the scientists don't know the answers to this. So we're just sort of hypothesizing and theorizing right. whatever we want it to be. So I'm okay with that. It's just I didn't understand how he kept like him manipulating gravity stayed in the watch that didn't make sense to me because i would imagine he would have because it ended up being in a box so wouldn't he have to be manipulating gravity constantly for the information to stay in the second hand you would would think yeah and then to make matters worse is when it sort of collapses in on itself and he goes through like a wormhole or whatever the hell it is where he gets spit out how he goes past their ship and he's the one that stuck his hand out to anne hathaway i thought that that was a bit much i I didn't need that (laughs) Well, what was like the I, point of that? Uh, yeah, it's like, I get it. He was everything throughout the entire movie. And uh, I think that I had some issues with uh, some of the other... Not I, I didn't find those necessarily to be plot holes, per se. I just didn't I just didn't like it. I didn't like how that yeah. played out. And I, I, th- I thought it was just slightly ridiculous how it played <clears> out. I just didn't... Because to me, it felt like almost everything else in the movie was pointless. Now, I've seen... There's a lot of people that are interpreting this movie in different ways. Well, a lot of, yeah, because he has the whole, you know, love transcends time right. and space. And, right. Which and, I don't agree with, okay? I don't agree with that. But it's a nice idea. I'm not, I'm not going to tear of, him apart for it. I didn't like the a, way that he, he introduced it. I thought that that There's was an him. interesting article on Badass Digest that uh, Devin Faraci wrote about that this is this is a movie about the end of masculinity and his his reasoning behind it some of it i, I find to be a little little loosey goosey oh but but what, some of it some of it's pretty interesting and i think that a lot of it fits in like with the fact that matt damon's character is named man and how he is he basically screws them because of his uh, selfish his selfish ways. Yeah. And a lot of it does seem to make sense that this is sort of allegorical for yeah, well, humanity. It could be allegorical for a number of things. Right. You could tie it into a lot of stuff. It's, as long as you know how to bullshit, you can tie it into anything. That's, <laughs> that's my problem when people do this stuff. But it, Yeah, but you love, you love interpreting movies, though. I do, yeah. But I'm not also going to say that my way is right and well, everyone else is, just in, in doesn't that specific see it. right in that specific article i don't think he's flat out saying that his way is right no I, 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 wrong or anything yeah. he was just he was just kind of proposing an interesting i don't way of looking at it now a lot of what he says is very on the nose like 
the rocket ship they go up in represents a penis and <laughs> stuff like that, which I okay. don't necessarily yeah. agree I with. Don't, yeah, if you're going to psychoanalyze everything, uh, I don't want any part of that. You should check out the article. Though, I'm going to have to... Uh, there are some really interesting points made. There's a couple other things. The after where he comes to in the hospital room, everything beyond that didn't need to be in the goddamn movie. Where he meets his daughter. <laughs> that was and... just... That was too much. Cut all of that out. Just end it with him floating in space. Leave it up to our imaginations. My goodness. That was just... That was too much for me. Or if they just had him wake up that, and then that, cut to black. Yeah, that would or something. Something like that. That would have been fine. It's just if you wanted if you wanted to show that he's it, still alive. Again, it's it's just this incessant over over explanation of everything. It's just come on. Yep. Yep. Uh, When I was thinking about this movie, I realized that Anne Hathaway's character brought almost nothing to the table at all, if you think about it. Unless there's something that I am missing. It seems like after they go on their journey, she does nothing to aid them other than to... Well, she gets Wes Bentley killed, and then she tells him the, the whole love thing, and that's really her only purpose. Yeah, well, she did... It seems they like towards the beginning of the film that she was the head of the entire plan B. They sort of made it seem like that, like she was the head of, you know, running the yeah. embryos and everything like that. So I could see and which again, I haven't read the, the badass digest, but I could see how that plays in as how she's the one that essentially brings everything back. Yeah. But she still didn't because they were able to that, do that it the other a- way. That was the other thing I didn't really, I wasn't really buying into was the whole plan A, plan B thing. And when we find out that there really was no plan A, they knew he he knew that plan A wasn't going to work 40 years prior to that or whatever, Mm -hmm. or many years Mm -hmm. prior. And the fact that he takes Murph under his wing and teaches her everything and has her working on figuring out this equation or whatever that's going to get them up there. Doesn't it seem like he would eventually just give, give up on that ruse? You would think like, why would you work on something for 40 or have someone work on something for that long? When you know that it doesn't work, wouldn't you, if you're really looking out for humanity, wouldn't you have her do something that's actually going to make a difference or work towards something else? Well, I don't think you really, he didn't care about humanity. I mean, he, he already he, knew that Plan B was it was going to start again. He just didn't want people freaking out. But yeah, but that's what he says. Was... But I mean, would you? It just seems a little ridiculous well, that he would do that for that long. Well, number one for me, the whole thing is ridiculous because, like I said, I don't really agree with anything that's going on here because I just don't understand why we have to keep going. Like, so what? They find another planet, they inhabit that one. They build it up that they can work eight hours and sit in front of their TVs for another eight hours and then sleep eight hours. Oh, boy. Thank God for humans. Like, what the well, fuck Kevin. are you giving to anything? Just, just you know, get, pat yourself on the back. You had a good run. Just, just you know, go out. Just go out. Well, Kevin, Come on. some people aren't as cynical about humanity as you are. Come on. I just I don't understand the point of... I just don't get well, I think it'd be different if you if you had two two kids and were 
trying to make the world a safe place for them to live. I think it might be a little bit different. I guess. It would be. No, no, you'd be like, well, you know what? We had a good run. Sorry, kids. You're going to die. I probably would. I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, you you wouldn't do that. Thinking about my nephews right now, I probably would do that. I'd just be like, you know, we gave it a shot. We probably have like another 10 years. Live it up. (laughs) Live it up. (laughs) Live it up, man. Enjoy enjoy your corn fritters. (laughs) Get that corn. <laughs> oh, God. I just don't understand the, the this this need to further our species. Well, like, that what goes does along. Species do what do we that do? That goes along with a lot of the themes of this movie. You know, the humanity's insatiable urge to expand and explore, and you know that's another thing that the movie. Some of the other themes that the movie plays around with. Yeah, it does. It does. Just try and capture a lot in here. Oh, yeah. I just think it would I mean, it would have been done better if he didn't explain everything at every turn. Because there was, I can't even remember, a, a, there was a good number of bits of dialogue where someone would say something and then Matthew McConaughey would like just give you that one word explanation just to, you know, just to simplify everything for you. you know, it's, it's the same kind of shit they do on those Monster of the Week TV shows on network television where... You know, they're in their lab, like Bones. You know, they're in their lab, and they say the scientific term, and then you have the other guy who's just like, oh, so he had a broken leg. Yeah. You know, (laughs) the simple layman version. And they're like, yeah, exactly. It was a broken leg. It's too much of that. He had particulates. He had particulates (laughs) in his leg that indicate splintering. Yeah, there's, there's too much of that, and there's too much of that reciting that damn Dylan Thomas. Oh yeah. God, how many times were they gonna do that? It's yeah. like three? Was it four? I think I know it was for sure it was three. At least it three. At least, it was at least three. Which is But they did it many. they did it out of order sometimes too. It's too many. Maybe every time they did it out of order. It's too many. But I do have to say the one spoiler, the Matt Damon explosion, that came out oh, of yeah. nowhere. And yeah, that came out of startled the shit out of me. Yeah, that that scared the shit out of me and that whole sequence uh, I found to be really tense and suspenseful and awesome. That's the thing. I, I liked a lot of the really sp- space uh, peril things that happened in this movie. The giant tidal wave. And I actually loved that they played around with the ideas, uh, the idea of relativity. The fact that they go down to a planet and they're there for like, what seems like five minutes. I think in the movie they were there for like two hours or whatever. And they go back up and 23 years have passed. <laughs> like to me, that's nuts. That that whole concept. I just love thinking about it because it's so crazy to me. It is. And I, and I love that. I mean, that played such a huge role in this movie. And I, I love that they were playing with those ideas. It was, it was good stuff. It's just unfortunate that there's so much, there's so many other flaws in this that really brings it down. Yeah. And I love bummer. it. I love it when Romley, when they go back up to the station, Romley emerges and he just looks so haggard and groggy. And he's like, it's been 23 years. And you're just like, holy shit. <laughs> and they were like, why didn't you put yourself in hypersleep? 
I think he didn't he say he did for like a, a stretch. There? Yeah, he said he did. Yeah, he said he did for a stretch, but he was worried that they were gone. Uh, we didn't talk about the robots either. What did you think of the robots? I thought they were all right. I thought they added a nice little bit of levity to it, comedic levity. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I guess so. I, didn't I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't really struck by them as much as I thought I was going to be. Because when I first saw it in that the trailer, the first trailer where they pop up, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, look at these robots. What? What are these yeah. robots all about? And then when you finally got to see them in the movie, you're just like, oh, they're not that special. I didn't really like the design of them, honestly. It seems very inefficient. Right. Honestly. That's what I said. <laughs> like, That's what I said. My girlfriend was like, no, that... They, they can do anything like they can roll real fast and they have little arms and stuff that they can put out and it didn't it's just like it just seems like they'd walk really oddly like it doesn't seem like they're very clunky they'd build a yeah they're clunky and like even falling a lot even when they could do the spinning thing it didn't seem like he went that fast no when he went and picked up Anne Hathaway it just it, I don't know it just didn't work out for me yeah I'm kind of let down on the robot front a little bit a little bit bummer they were fine i mean at least they weren't androids that looked like humans now was there a part of you that when he went into the black hole that he would get stuck inside of too many cooks that would be amazing because there if they did something like that (laughs) there is a part of me that wanted that to happen i also like the idea that the that the wormhole is spherical i i liked that just thinking about that but again, I didn't like how he did the whole explanation. Oh yeah, where he's they... like explaining well, it to McConaughey, and it's like—I mean, how many times have we seen someone describe a wormhole by folding a piece of paper and sticking a pencil through it? Like, I mean, I feel like I've seen that twenty-five times in my life. It just—it to me, it kind of takes away that these guys are, you know, so intelligent and they've come this far, but yet they still have to explain and, and, these things I mean, to Matt... each other. And Matthew McConaughey is like a fucking superstar. You'd think that he would know the basic concept of a wormhole. You would think. I mean, he has a a fleet of drone farming equipment. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but but the funny thing was, it it just seemed like he hopped into that spaceship and knew exactly what to do. Yeah, like like anytime there was a problem, he knew exactly how to fix it. If they needed to chart a different course he's just like all right well we'll just fucking whip around this other thing whip whip around the black hole slingshot us right there whatever you know he's making these extremely complex calculations on the fly but he doesn't you think he'd understand he know what... pencil through a folded piece of paper come on oh boy any any final thoughts on interstellar spoilers oh man uh, Poor Wes Bentley. I feel like he could have hopped in there. I don't. I don't know. Understand why he died. Plus, I don't just hop right in. Hop it. In, hop into the hole. He was standing right there. Why was he like waiting? Why are you waiting? Get in the. Get in the ship. Get in the yeah. ship already. I get that. Uh, get in a damn ship. I, I was really bummed out when Romley went. Yeah, that, that really bummed me out. That did bum me out too. I liked Romley. I also liked Romley. Could have done without the Matt Damon shit. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. that was entirely too drawn out. I thought a little bit. Well, I mean, you knew something was wrong from the beginning too. Yeah, but 
Whatever. Oh well. It's Interstellar. Interstellar. Kind of see it. Kind of check it out. <laughs> kind of worth seeing. I would say go if you have an IMAX in your area, go see it. the The scenes that were that they did in IMAX looked amazing. Oh my god, it felt like I was flying through the stars. I just I loved everything that they did with the wormhole and the black hole. I just I thought wanted, that was fantastic. I also wanted to mention the just the the set design on the ship itself looked amazing like their little hypersleep chambers or whatever how they they showed where it didn't look all crisp and clean and brand new. I liked that and all the stuff in zero G I liked. I liked the the idea of spinning the ship in order to get the gravity and stuff. I liked all that. I thought that was really cool. But I I, yeah. I also thought that those those sequences were a little drawn out too. Like I get it. Oh, you're, the, you're spinning. The spinning. They yeah. just kept showing like the outside of the ship spinning, spinning. Well, it's like I I, I figured they, it out. I think they're trying to make it more tense. I know that's the only that was one of my other big problems was I understand that you're trying to make it tense, but it seems like they just went too far in a, in a number of like, spots where it's like I get it now I'm just getting bored. Like I don't know if you noticed this, but they kept doing that one same shot of the camera that was fixed on the outside of their craft, the one the when they were in the little the smaller craft that looked like the mm-hmm. jet sort yeah. of. They kept cutting to that same exact <laughs> shot. I know. And I was like, okay. I get, again, I get it. I, yeah. We, I mean, but they cut to that same one like eight times through the mo- throughout the movie. And it was, the, it, it was almost as if they were redoing it over and over again, like the scene from Too Many Cooks when they kept showing the eagle. <laughs> <laughs> or the hawk, I mean. <laughs> I forgot about the hawk. <laughs> Uh, uh, there you have it. So what's, Thank you for listening. That's Interstellar in theaters now. 